Once again, John records for us the statement of Jesus. That's our basis for our study this morning. And will be, as I said last week, for the next several weeks. Jesus said, I am come that they might have life. And that they might have it more abundantly. Jesus wants us to live a plentiful, copious, rich, and bountiful life. But to live the kind of life that Jesus wants us to live. The kind of life Jesus wants us to have. There are certain things that we have to conquer. Last week we talked about conquering fear. And over the next few weeks we'll talk about other things like conquering ourselves and conquering the past. But we've got to get the best out of life that there is to get. We've got to overcome things and we've got to conquer things. And one of the things we've got to conquer... One of the things we have to get the best of is anger. Now, if there's anybody in the sound of my voice this morning that never gets angry, you may be excused now. That's what I thought. So we need to do this, don't we? We need to conquer anger. We need to get the best of it. And when I think about an angry man, I think of Jonah. He made a very poor beginning. And he had a very poor ending. But Jonah was indeed a great prophet. God told him to go to Nineveh and preach. And first, Jonah tried to flee to Tarshish. Because he wanted to evade his commission from God to go preach. God said, you go to the capital city of Nineveh and you preach repentance and you preach judgment in that proud city. And at the end of the story, we see Jonah at the beginning of the story try to flee from God and ends up getting thrown overboard and a great fish swallows him and All that, and you know that story. And then at the end, we see Jonah pass from the stage of action in a fit of petulant anger. But as Jonah walked through the streets of the city of Nineveh preaching, his text was pretty basic. Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be destroyed. Now you just can't get much plainer than that kind of preaching. And Jonah did not expect that it would happen. And evidently, Jonah didn't even hope that it would happen. But the people of Nineveh repented. That's exactly what they did. From the king on his throne to the peasant in his lowly hut, the entire population of Nineveh covered themselves in sackcloth and they sat in ashes and they fasted. Here's what it says in Jonah chapter 3 and verse 10. And God saw their works. 
that they turned from their evil ways, and God repented of the evil that He had said that He would do unto them, and He did it not. There was no change in God's plan. There was no change in God's purpose. When the people of the city of Nineveh repented, the city was saved from destruction. But guess what? Jonah wasn't happy with that turn of events. It was an unexpected turn of events. And and Jonah didn't like it. In fact, it made him so angry that he asked God to take his life. Look at how chapter 4 starts. It displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was very angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled before unto Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and repentest thee of the evil. Therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And when it says there in verse 1, it displeased Jonah, that word displeased in the original language, the word that's translated displeased actually is a word that in the original Greek means he was broken up with violent anger. He wasn't just displeased. He was Boiling, hot, raging, mad. It literally means Jonah was incensed. God had proved something to Jonah. God had proved to Jonah that he was graceful, gracious, and that he was merciful, and that he was slow to anger. But Jonah felt that the repentance of Nineveh And the sparing of Nineveh by God, it made Jonah feel like his preaching had been discredited. He was angry with himself. He was angry with Nineveh because they repented. And he was angry at God because he spared the city because they repented. He was just mad at everybody. And so you know what happens as the story comes to an end? Jonah goes out on a hillside out in the suburbs of the city of Nineveh. And he sits down on the hillside to see what would happen. Well, in order to shelter him from the sun, God provides Jonah with a miraculous gourd. Well, Jonah was pleased that he had the shelter of that gourd from the fierce glare of the Mesopotamian sun that was out there. But the next day, the gourd was smitten with a worm. And the gourd perished as quickly as it had arisen. Now, as mad as Jonah was, what do you think he'd have done if he could have found that worm? He was one angry prophet. The gourd has withered and died, and the hot east wind starts to blow. And it's about that time that... Jonah's about to faint, and again he asks God to take away his life. 
When the sun did rise, God prepared a vehement east wind. And the sun beat upon the head of Jonah, and he fainted and wished in himself to die, and said, It is better for me to die, he said, than to live. And God said to Jonah, Doest thou well to be angry? It was a question. And it was like God was saying, Jonah, what good is your anger going to do you? What are you going to accomplish, Jonah, by being angry? An angry man and an angry woman cannot see the truth. Write that down. Take it to the bank. And Jonah said, I do well to be angry, even unto death. But listen to what God said. Then said the Lord, Thou hast had pity on the gourd, for which thou hast not labored, neither made it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should not I spare the spare Nineveh, that great city, wherein are more than six score thousand persons that can't discern between their right hand and their left hand, and also much cattle. Jonah provides us an example of how the character of a good man and a great man, how the character of a good and a great woman can be marred by anger. An example of how their usefulness can be impaired. The story of Jonah suggests to us the folly, the danger, and the injury of anger. Unfortunately, when someone is angry and gives unrestrained expression to that anger as Jonah did, their friends and their associates are not nearly as patient and long-suffering and don't always return the same soft answer that God returned to the hot-headed Jonah. Anger is one of the most common sins in the catalog of sin. And it is also one of the most dangerous and the most injurious to our peace and our well-being. More than any other sin, it blasts the flower of friendship. It turns men and women out of Eden. It destroys peace and harmony in the home. It incites to crime and violence and turns love and affection to hatred. This book, the Bible, is a great book. It's the mirror of the soul. And it holds that mirror up to nature. And it has a lot to say by way of personal illustration 
and explanation about the havoc wrought in human life by the sin of anger. And don't think about who I might be talking to today. Hold up the mirror of the soul. I'm talking to you. I'm talking to me. If I had thought about it, I thought about it this morning. It was too late to do it. But I thought about just going to the... I thought about I should have just gone to the dollar store. And I should have invested in a big stack of handheld mirrors. And about this time, passed them out. And said, you want to see somebody that needs this sermon? Hold up the mirror. The first angry man that ever appeared on the pages of God's revelation to man is the first murderer. It's Cain. Jesus warned us about being angry with each other. And the reason is it opens up the way for crime and for violence. That's what happened with Cain. Those two brothers, Cain and Abel, brought their offering to God. And for reasons the Bible does not tell us, God had respect to the offering of Abel, and God did not have respect to the offering of Cain. And the Bible says that Cain was angry. He said he was, it actually says he was very angry. And his countenance fell. And there you have the history of anger. And how it works. First in the heart, then in the face, and then in the deed. According to the New Testament, it was envy that made Cain angry. Anger that's born of envy and jealousy is always the most dangerous kind of of anger and the most dangerous of passions. God reasoned with Cain, or rather God tried to reason with Cain. And He said to Cain as He said to Jonah, why are you angry? And like so many angry men and angry women, Cain would not listen to reason. In Cain's fury, he heard nothing more than the voice of his own passion. And then and there, the first murder was committed. And the Bible tells us the soil drank the blood of Abel. What happened to Cain in this instance? How he went from the presence of the Lord, a fugitive, and a vagabond on the face of the earth is a piece of history that angry men who have yielded their passions have repeated over and over and over again. Write this down. It's on the final exam. The angry man or angry woman is the loneliest of all people. Anger has always been injurious. There have been great men down through the ages whose lives 
and influence and destiny have been injured and ruined by anger. Consider the folly of anger as it's illustrated by the prophet Balaam. Balaam was one of the most gifted. He was one of the most eloquent men of the Old Testament. But listen to what it says in Numbers chapter 22 and verse 22. It says, God's anger was kindled because Balaam went. And the angel of the Lord stood in the way for an adversary against him. Now he was riding upon his donkey and his two servants were with him. And the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way and his sword drawn in his hand. And the donkey turned aside out of the way and went to the field. And Balaam smote the donkey to turn her into the way. The angel of the Lord stood in the path of the vineyards, a wall being on this side and a wall on that side. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she thrust herself into the wall and crushed Balaam's foot against the wall and he smote her again. The angel of the Lord went further and stood in a narrow place where there was no way to turn either to the right hand or the left. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she fell down under Balaam. And Balaam's anger was kindled and he smote the donkey with a staff. And the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey. And she said unto Balaam, What have I done unto thee that thou smites me with this three times? And Balaam said to the donkey, Because thou hast mocked me, I would there were a sword in my hand, for now I would kill thee. Now there's a picture of a man that lost his temper. The trouble wasn't with that donkey. The trouble was inside Balaam. The angel of the Lord was there to rebuke him. The angel of the Lord was there to judge him. And you know what? That's often the way things are. The individual, the man or woman who's most violent in their anger at someone else, really ought to be angry with themselves. Because they're the source of their own trouble and their own sorrow. There was another great man injured by anger, and his name was Moses. You remember the people of Israel. Israel murmured. They were good at that. That was actually what the children of Israel did best, was they murmured. And they murmured and they asked for water. And God commanded Moses at the mountain of God at Horeb, God commanded Moses to speak to a rock there. But you see, the story is in Numbers chapter 20, and it begins there in in verse 7. And as it says there, the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, Take the rod and gather thou the assembly together, thou and Aaron thy brother, and speak, speak you unto the rock before their eyes, and it shall give forth his water. And thou shalt bring forth for them water out of the rock. So thou shalt give them the congregation and their beasts drink. And Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he commanded. And Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation together before the rock. And he said unto them, Here now, you rebels, must we fetch rock water for you from this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand, and with his rod he smote the rock twice. And the water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank, and their beasts. It says, Moses spoke unto them, Here now, you rebels, must we fetch water for you out of this rock? And now look at what verses 12 and 13. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, 
Because you believed me not to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this congregation into the land which I have given unto them. Moses' anger cost him the promised land. Then over in 2 Kings chapter 5, there's the story of Naaman. He was a great general. He was the prime minister under Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria. But he was a leper. Now somewhere along all of his conquests, they had brought along a little Israelite maiden who was his wife's handmaiden. And, and we're told that, that Naaman had his leprosy and this little Israelite maiden said to her mistress that he needs to go back. There's a prophet in my land that can heal him of this leprosy. And so the word got to Naaman. So Naaman goes to the king, and the king sends him to, to Israel. And so he goes to the king of Israel, and the king of Israel says, I can't do this. But Elisha was God's man, and Elisha heard that the king of Israel had been upset and torn his clothes. And so Naaman went to the house of Elisha the prophet. And when he went to the house of Elisha the prophet to be healed of his leprosy, Elisha sent a messenger down. And the messenger said, Go and dip seven times in the river Jordan and you'll be cleansed of your leprosy. Well, that wasn't what Naaman wanted. Naaman already had a way that he thought that it would be healed. And look at what it said. It says in verse 11, But Naaman was wroth. That means Naaman burst out with rage. He said, I don't know why he did it this way. I thought surely the prophet himself would come down, not just send one of his messengers, not just send his errand boy down, but I thought the prophet of God would come and place his hand over the place that needs healing on my body and heal me. But no. He sends his errand boy down and tells me to go dip in the river Jordan seven times. He was angry. He burst out with rage is what it says. And he refused to do it. He said, we've got the rivers of Abana and Farfar here. They're much cleaner than that dirty, filthy, murky Jordan River. No. And his servant said to him, my Lord, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, you'd have done it. Why not wash and be cleansed? Verse 14 says he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh came again like the flesh of a little child. And he was clean. And yet one of the most unforgettable characters of Jesus is an angry man. It's in Luke chapter 15. When that prodigal son comes home and his father says, put a ring on his finger, a robe on his back, kill the fatted half calf, my son that was lost is home. And his older brother got mad about it. They had this big celebration because the son had returned home and the older brother said, I'm not going in. He was angry and he would not go in. A burst of anger can destroy and undo what an individual has been laboriously laboring a lifetime to accomplish. The story is told of one of the old saints who was greatly provoked. He explained, someone said, why don't you deal more severely 
with those wrongdoers that were harassing you and brought before you. This old saint said to tell you the truth. I was afraid I would lose in a quarter of an hour the little gentleness that I've been laboring for 22 years to gather drop by drop like a shower in the vase of my poor heart. Friendships of long standing whose branches have borne pleasant fruits can be blasted and withered by one unrestrained explosion of anger. Wounds can be inflicted and insults delivered that in a moment an angry person would give everything they've got to recall. But the injury has been done. And the result is that anger provokes anger. When someone is angry, when a man or a woman is angry, a wise friend can do them a great service. And the attitude is the attitude that we should take that God had with Cain. The attitude of God Himself. What did God do with Cain? God reasoned with Cain. He went out to talk to the elder brother. He said to Jonah, Doest thou well to be angry? And look at the benefits the servants of Naaman provided when they reasoned with him calmly and logically and persuaded him to put his rage aside. Grievous words stir up anger. A soft answer turneth away wrath. That's what the wise man said in Proverbs 15 and verse 1. It said that when an elephant is enraged, Nothing calms an enraged elephant like a little lamb. Something else that's a well-known fact. In the War of 1812 at the Battle of New Orleans, do you know what General Andrew Jackson used to stop the cannonballs of the British artillery? Well, if you don't, I'm going to tell you. He used bales of cotton to stop cannonballs. As the years increase, and as the difficulties of life increase, occasions for anger are more frequent. And therefore there is a great need for us to diligently work to conquer our anger. And we've got to make sure of something else. Are we going to get irritated? Yeah. Are there going to be outbursts? Yes. We've got to make sure. And we've got to beware, and we've got to be on guard that the anger of the moment is never retained. And we make sure that anger does not solidify into hatred. The Apostle says, be you angry and sin not.
Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Jesus wants you and me to live an abundant life. And to live an abundant life means that we have to conquer anger. And we do that when we make Jesus Christ the Lord and Master of our lives. When we submit and surrender our will to the will of Jesus. Peter tells us in 1 Peter 2 and verse 21, Christ suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow in His steps. Peter goes on. He said that he did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not respond in kind. When he suffered, he threatened not. We must make him the Lord of our lives. It's his invitation as we stand and while we sing.